Hey everybody, welcome back to the show, our podcast, our interview situation. I got a great guest on here, somebody I've been following on Instagram for a while that's made me laugh a bunch of times. So I was like, let's, we definitely have to kind of connect and talk. I have Dr. Sam Althauser, who goes by Sam Silverman. Um, so we're going to talk about that, why we have two names, all these things, but I'm going to let uh, okay. Sam talk about that a little bit and then we will go from there. So if we want to give a little bit about your introduction, your background, who you are and all that stuff, and we'll go from there. Yeah. So yeah, first, I'm I'm super pumped to be here. I feel like you're the only other person I know that's really putting out a ton of comedy stuff <laughs> from a psychiatry perspective. So I love it. It's really cool. Yeah. The, yeah, uh, I um, yeah, man, I'm a, I'm a psychiatrist. I am. I'm an adult psychiatrist. So I went to medical school in Philadelphia, um, Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine, did my training at Loma Linda University in Loma Linda, California. And now I'm working out here in Santa Barbara. And between my third and fourth years of psychiatry residency, so I did this weird thing. I was actually a chief resident my third year rather than my fourth year. There was a whole lot of stuff related to that. I don't know if you did that where you went to residency or anything like that. Um, no, no, I was, I was never yeah, a chief. Yeah. I think I was a chief at like, a, I was like some BS chief position they gave me in my last year fellowship, but that was about it. So, yeah, I feel like the comedian's like the social chief if nothing else, you know, but so anyway, um, oh yeah, yeah I think yeah. I, yeah, I did the social, social chair for like when the people more so like when the, like, uh, what's it called? Applicants would come through and then like, I would take them to dinner. Yeah. That was like my job. Like, but yeah, go ahead. It's okay. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I totally, totally can imagine that. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, I, I yeah, my I ended my chief year, third year, I was going to my fourth year, and I, I didn't want to moonlight. And I wanted to do some other cool stuff. And I started uh, doing stand up comedy. My wife actually signed me up for a class uh, in LA and uh, had a show at the end of that class. And the rest is history. I got bit by the bug. And uh, it's been around five <laughs> years that I've been doing stand-up now. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, awesome. So that's that was kind of like my, my first question was going to be like, what came first, the comedian or the psychiatrist, right? Like, you know, this is a play on our chicken and the egg situation. Uh, but talk, talk to us a little bit about that. Like uh, um, you said you got your wife got you signed up for it, got bit by the bug and all that stuff. So talk to us about what was like really appealing about being a comedian and doing, you know, stand up and everything like that. Yeah, I, um, you know, I'm a big stand up fan, or, you know, I listen to a lot less, actually, now, now that I tell jokes and am in that in a live setting there. Um, but I was a big stand up fan. And I did a lot of random performances, I wouldn't say I was ever very good or very serious with anything, but just like a lot of different random performing arts ever since I was young. And uh, yeah, this was in medical school. I did acapella, you know, other stuff throughout college. And so I just kind of wanted to get back into some stuff. And, you know, I had, I, I'd given a wedding toast. I had emceed a couple of our graduations at residency. And I had also promised some people that I was going to do this and sign up for it and just never did. And I, I kept on getting more and more opportunities in front of the mic. And my wife was just like, I, you're, you're going to do this. It's time, you know, you got to start actually doing it for real. Um, and, 
And I think the biggest thing that I like about it is that, you know, you can just say whatever you want. I mean, you, I don't, you know, to be clear, and we'll get into that a little bit more, um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you can say whatever you want. And I think that's really cool. I'm more of an inhibited person in terms of my day-to-day -day life and kind of how I go about trying to communicate my thoughts. And I think part of that is a psychiatrist in me. And so it's nice to be a little bit of disinhibited and just kind of let my thoughts fly there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, you know, the thing is that we see when we're, when we are a psychiatrist, right? There's, there's a couple or in the mental health field, there's always like there's yeah. two aspects of it. Like we're, we're so used to like being at work, we're talking a lot and listening a lot and it's, you know, again, very, a verbal oral kind of job versus somebody who's like a surgeon who's like working with their hands all day doing X, Y, and Z. And then when we come home, like, at least when I come home, I'm like, I just want quiet in the house. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want anybody to talk to me. I just want to like sit down and do nothing for a bit. And then again, similar to what you're saying, going out and performing, it's a whole, you know, with the, with the routines and stuff, like it's a whole different thing. So talk about that a little bit, what, what that's like for you. That's definitely the hardest part is, is, is carving out that time because absolutely when I come home, I feel the exact same way. So, you know, if I have a show later on, like ending, ending clinic, I coming home, putting the kid to bed going out to do a show, that whole process right there is the last thing I want to do. It's terrible. I just want to stay there, stay home and not do anything with that and just relax. But, you know, once I get there, it's, I'm running through my set. I'm kind of doing these things. I'm thinking about what I'm going to do and observing. And there's some anticipatory anxiety. I used to have a lot more performance anxiety with that, but not really as much anymore, but it, once you get up there, it's like the ultimate rush. And then you're just like super, super energized every time after like an awesome set. I just, I can almost not want to go to bed. You know, it's just incredible how much that comes up. So, you know, it's kind of like that idea of, you know, when you tell your patients, I don't know if you do it yourself, but it will pretend you're telling your patients, like go to the gym, work out after, your work kind of get that there rather than going home and crashing. It's kind of that same type of process there. Um, yeah. 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 No, for real. And I think what you're describing too, like when there's that, the rush of the performance that comes and when you get that like reception from people and you're like, Oh, this is really cool. And I did really well. And getting the positive feedback, like there's, there's almost like this, you know, addiction, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm loathe to use the word addiction, but like almost like pull to it. There's that, that rush that comes from, you know, the good set and something that hits, um, and, and getting that feedback for sure. So. Totally. And it's, it's, it's connection. I mean, it's, it is an interactive art form stand up, And so it, it's tough to do it. Like when we are doing the virtual world, it's diff, it's difficult and it's different because you're not having that same give and take with the audience. Um, but yeah, it's connection, much like having a good connection with the patient, or if you're a patient and having a good connection with your provider, it's the same type of process there. And I think that can be 
really invigorating. Um, and you're finding connection through you being vulnerable, ideally with your standup. And so that's the other thing too, is like sharing stuff about you that you may not necessarily want to share, but it's about those complaints and confessions. And yeah, if you have a connection based on those complaints and confessions, that can be really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I know like when I'm doing my stuff, when I do some of like more my skits or other kind of things, it becomes this way of like, you know, processing almost what we go through in, in our work and we put it out there and it comes out and, you know, especially on our end of the chair, right? Um, we're not supposed to be so much talking as much and we're, we're the Tupperware. We're, we're receiving a lot of the stuff that's out there. When I go out, when I put stuff out there on TikTok or Instagram, whatever it may be, like it comes out, I guess that's my opportunity to put something out. How much of that do you put into your comedy? Because I know we'll talk about a little bit more, like, I guess, what what consists or what's your makeup of your your comedy or what do you kind of go after? Or... Yeah, that's really, that's a good question. Um, the as, By the way, that's like the stupidest thing that anybody can ever say on a podcast is that's a good question. Or like, do you ever get that when a patient tells you that's a good question? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I know I ask these questions for a living. It's not, not yeah. I know. But this, anyway. this is my job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but it, it definitely is that that vehicle for me to get that off, off my chest and off my off my back and just kind of like bring those things to the surface. Um, and so I think for as a doctor, a lot of what I'm often talking about is the frustrations of being a doctor or the awkwardness of being a doctor and kind of naming that there. So it's like. I know I'm a young person. I know I look young, but when somebody then spends the whole entire session talking about how young I look and kind of making it about that through the lens of whatever else, that's something I want to talk about on stage. Or when a patient calls me a tall drink of water, I want to talk about that on stage and that type of stuff there. And so it's, uh, yeah. yeah, definitely like the weird experiences of that. It's fun to get out for sure. Yeah. Yeah we deal with like in mental health, we deal with terrible shit, right? There's no other way to kind of say it. Right. I, I don't want to talk with like, um, I talked with Dr. Tyler Black about this. It's like we deal with terrible, terrible stuff, the worst of society, the worst of humanity. And there's ways that people, we have to kind of deal with it. You know, we go through our classes and trainings and stuff and humor is seen as one of like the mature defense mechanisms that's out there um talk about that yeah. i guess on, on your end uh what what you see from that and how we how again how you process some of some of what we go through in our day-to-days yeah it's in, that's that's good um yeah i not a lot of those the worst of what we see, not a lot of that makes it into my comedy. I will say that. Um, and, and I think it's just, and a lot of people ask about that. A lot of people ask about all these incredible, awful, ridiculous, manic, psychotic presentations. Like how do you incorporate that in there or, 
you know, you know, write a suicide joke or something like that. I have a tough time doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that I, and that is the thing that I really, I, I, I can't do. And so, yeah, I won't always process that through that. And, and, and you know, with sometimes that doesn't always need to be there. What, what are some of those things that like you're, you know, you talked about like maybe when patients make comments towards you or at you in a way, what are some other stuff yeah. that you enjoy kind of like discussing or bring up in, like, in your sets and routines? I love that. I love, yeah, I love kind of the awkwardness of being a doctor. I, the kind of like, and to, and to a certain extent, you know, I think it's deserved and yet it also is ridiculous is kind of like the blind respect that people will give doctors or used to give them before 2020. And it, you know, that type of thing is, yeah, that, that, that I think is a type of thing that's odd and unusual. I think with me as a psychiatrist, like getting into anything that's like metacognitive and really frustrating is cool. So like, how do you get this? Like, you're an anxious person, you think you don't have anxiety, but that's your anxiety, talking your way out of that over and over again. Like you spent the past month ruminating about how I told you you have generalized anxiety disorder. Like, you know, that type of stuff I I love that I love talking about and get into that. There's also, I think, like, when you had talked about a little bit earlier, like when you're doing comedy or doing a routine, you're allowed to say anything, right? And this has kind of come a bit under fire more recently, right? We have this kind of culture and social media and everyone's an analyst and, you know, we can say politically correct or cancel culture, whatever's out there. How do you balance that when you're also, you know, we've seen this, right? Plenty of people have had stuff that quote unquote crosses the line and stuff. And people who are in the field, the comedy field will say like, well, once you go on stage again, that the world is your oyster, you can say whatever you want and you're protected by this shield almost. Um, talk about that a little bit and how, how that plays a role. And then, yeah. You are, you are protected by that. Um, I think there are two things that kind of prevent me from crossing that line in general and with the way that other people do. I think the, the first is you have to be authentic with yourself in order to tell good jokes and be a good stand-up comic. You need to be telling things that are meaningful and that connect with you. And so if I'm up there demeaning somebody who I truly see as disadvantaged and that are people with serious, severe mental illness and those symptoms, I, I am not going to connect with that. I'm not going to do that. And so I'm not going to be funny. I'm not going to tell a good right. joke there. And, yeah. and, and that, and that just comes back to the, like, I'm still a professional behind that. Even if I'm not being myself in that context, that still is who I am. And so I think that's the one thing that kind of keeps me from doing that there. Um, the, and I think, and, and I think there are so many other ways to tell a funny joke that you don't need to do that. So like, why, why bother? Like why even do that in the first place? And the other thing is I have so much anxiety in general and I don't want to offend anybody. I am so worried about doing that. And like, 
I'm Jewish, but I'm still a white man. And like, I, I, you know, I, I, I respect that and tow that. And so I think that's the other thing too, is, um, yeah, I may offend somebody's perception of certain things. I may offend how they view something or how they do that there, how they view psychiatry, how they view something else, but I don't want to offend them. Yeah. If I can help it. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I think that's one of the things that we see a lot is like with some of the stuff I know there was controversy earlier last year with like a med Twitter's husband, who's a comedian. Uh, we won't name names, but people who may know and made a joke about, uh, trans people, uh, trans individuals. And, and, you know, it kind of went back, it blew black, blew back onto, you know, the spouse of the comedian, um, you know, lost a lot of followers and a cloud and respect and all that stuff because, you know, she didn't jump up and say, I, you know, wasn't quick enough to say, I, I denounced this statement. Right. Um, and you know, I, I like watched it and I remember I was like, and I was like, I didn't laugh because it wasn't funny. Right. Not necessarily because it was like offensive because there is an aspect where like, I think you can be f- offensive to people, but you still gotta be funny. Right. Like, and if you're not funny into the day, like you failed at your job at being comedian. Right. That's my opinion. Yeah. Now somebody might get a good laugh for being offensive. Doesn't mean it's a good joke. Yeah. Doesn't mean it's a good joke. Yeah. 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 And and that brings up that aspect. Oh, good. I was going to say, you know, the other thing too, of like, with like a trans joke, if somebody does that, you and I, something that like the average person unfortunately may find funny that we don't find funny is because we have an actual understanding of things from a medical and psychological perspective that's much more nuanced. And so our kind of foundation of knowledge that you're using to then tell the joke or make the pivot is totally different than that kind of um, impoverished, ignorant, understanding of something like that yeah oh yeah it's the whole concept right when we're talking about comedy or any jokes like that it is punching up versus punching down right and 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 not kind of getting into that position of like punching down on the marginalized populations because what's the fun in that is you know there's you're just being a bully at that point in time so totally yeah it there's no i mean there's I mean, I think sociopaths have a good time with it, but I, I personally <laughs> don't, you know, my, my resting pulse rates above 40. And so I'm, I'm not, not in that way. Yeah. Good, good, good. Uh, but, right. but yeah, it's, um, yeah, it, you know, it's, and, and that's why I tell a lot of jokes about myself. I'm the victim in a lot of my jokes. And, um, that for me is the easiest way to tell a joke is making fun of yourself. Yeah. If nothing else, it can always be self-deprecating, um, so for sure. Um, and I think like you've, we'll pivot to that a little bit. Is like you've talked about that. Is like you know, and the material and stuff that I've seen has been like about being a psychiatrist with OCD, uh, being a psychiatrist who takes psychiatric medications, and dealing with some of the effects and stuff like that. And again, like as much as you want, but like how much of that is authentic versus how much of that is embellished versus. To, and then oh, it's 100% how real. you feel yeah yeah 
Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. So that's good. So, yeah. So talk about that a little bit, like, you know, how, how you decide to kind of get to that point of being like, you know what, let's bear myself out there and, and, you know, put this out mm-hmm. there for everybody to see and, and joke out, laugh at a little bit. I think it kind of stemmed from before I was doing stand up in residency. Um, I made sure that most of the residents, medical students, other people I was in, uh, mentoring, um, that they, uh, that they knew that I took Prozac, that I knew that I dealt with anxiety and OCD and, um, really kind of struggled with all those things there. Um, and so I think that vulnerability was the initial spot that that stemmed from. Um, I think then that vulnerability, it's the thing that is the richest that I can tell jokes about and the most authentic with that. Once again, that's that complaining confession. And I think what it really, beyond that, it, I think it humanizes us. It humanizes psychiatry. It humanizes mental health. I think that we think that psychiatrists don't have the potential to be the victim of mental illness. I would say almost every single psychiatry resident I knew, I mean, not almost every, but 75% or so took an SSRI at some point during the residency there. I think a lot of people deal with a lot of different challenges, and it's important to know that we're human too. And then I think it also destigmatizes the aspect of illness and shows that, yeah, it's not, it, it, it's not a, a life sentence. It doesn't define you. Getting treatment doesn't define you. In fact, as much as taking that pill every day feels like it defines you, it's what you're able to do. So it doesn't do that as much. And right. I think modeling that's pretty cool. Yeah. And I think, you know, like I've, I've been open, like I have somebody who's with like ADHD and I, you know, take medication for that. And it's allowed me to be hopefully a better doctor, right? A doctor and a better oh, yeah. doctor and all those things. And, and I think like what you're describing is, you know, physicians as a whole have such this, you know, we have the highest suicide rates of any physi- any uh, occupation, you know, and I see patients, some of my patients are other other doctors or other healthcare providers and like you know there is the aspect where we can say like hey you know sometimes we are the patient too um and you know we we can kind of poke fun to an extent about that and and what this medications what they can do and stuff so cool it's good it's yeah. it's one way of kind of the self-disclosure yeah yeah and i think that's really a, a big point right is <laughs> like yeah i um is how high our suicide rate is and how important it is to model getting help. And I think that's the other thing too, right? Like maybe I won't model that for anybody else, but a medical student and a resident. But if I do that, that's awesome. You know, I mean, I had a co-resident take their own life when I was in residency and it's, um, you know, I think, I think I, it was incredible then seeing the response related to that, but it, it, how prevalent it is became so much more obvious when that happened. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So it's definitely, I mean, like these tragedies, again, I'm sorry to hear that that happened to you all and, 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 you know, your whole residency program. Um, but like, you know, these things happen, much too often we hear these stories all the time and it's like 
got to take care of ourselves. We have to take care of ourselves so that we can take care of other people. So, yeah. Whew. Okay. So on that yeah. heavy topic. Yeah. And <laughs> one other thing, just kind of add to that. I'll, I'll shift from that in a second yeah. is just the, um, I, I, you know, and this is kind of the funny thing about OCD with this too, is I've always known I've been an anxious person. But it took a very long time to kind of, even after being on Prozac and all these types of things, to really understand a lot of what was going on there. And just like the fact that it like colored everything. So there are going to be a lot of people out there who like have these illnesses and don't know they have them. I can't tell you how many people I tell a joke about like checking and people come up to me afterwards and like, that's abnormal. I'm like, yeah, yeah. It, it's 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 not not what you should be doing yeah uh and and so i think that that's the other thing too is that these like because they're illnesses of the brain and our metacognition is inherently poor um you know we we just don't realize that unless it's thrown right at us and so yeah that's part of what i do too is kind of like i like to make fun of all the various things in my life that i've done that have been checking, counting, ritualistic in nature that I should have known were OCD. And it wasn't until I kind of had that awareness that it was like, Jesus, I've been doing every single stupid thing in my life is <laughs> through this, this lens. Do you feel like with that knowledge or with that kind of experience that you kind of, it's, it's made you a little bit more of an OCD expert, quote unquote, just cause you have your own personal lived experience with it or do you feel like maybe not um it continually moves that way um it it hasn't always it, it's not my primary clinical interest my primary clinical interest is actually borderline personality disorder um a big um proponent of the destigmatization and lots of other stuff we can go into that another time but but yeah that was kind of more my um that's more my primary clinical uh, passion but yeah a lot more i think i'm i at least know that i will look at some of these nuances related to ocd some of these purely obsessional processes asking questions in certain ways to kind of elicit this where parts of these things may not be so obvious to them or they're kind of, it's, it's just a part of their experience. They don't know. It's like, it's ingrained into the fabric of their life so much that, you know, if you're not right. asking a weird question, a weird way, it may not come out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things that like, I, I'm similar in a way that like my, my ADHD diagnosis was in my, was after my fellowship and residency and fellowship when I was like a year into practicing as a psychiatrist, like a, you know, grown ass psychiatrist, um, that, you know, after I was doing hundreds of evaluations that like a, finally there was this light bulb that was like, oh my God, this is me. This is what I've been doing. So when, so it's weird when I, you know, I, and now I ask my patients who come for an ADHD evaluation, I was like, what's your credit score? All right. And it's, you know, that's one of the things they're like, oh, why are you asking what my credit score is? Yeah. Probably because that's I know a really good one. <laughs> I was like, because I know that my credit score 
because of the fact that I never paid bills on time and never put on auto pay and all that stuff was like 500 something for a little while. And then, you know, I had to kind of dig myself out yeah. of the hole. So there's that aspect where like mm-hmm. it gets in there and it's like, Oh wait, I have to, I have to like look at these things. And it's, it's really interesting when we have these kind of, again, we get that clinical experience and then we start to apply it to ourselves and then to our patients in a way too. So. Yeah. And it, I, I love that. I love that, 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 that's the case for you first that what a great little um you know a um para related question it's it just is so that's so good i love it when things like that come up um yeah i i you know it it just goes to show how blind we can be to it and how we are really good at compensating for all sorts of stuff to the point that you can be you know octuple boarded or whatever you are and then you come out and then you get the diagnosis and there it is and it's like oh this is why i was like oh this is why i failed out of dental school so yeah (laughs) all right yeah was there any was there any oh yeah no you're you're asking questions go for it no no ask 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 you can we can ask you can ask yeah it's all good i i i want to know like what was there anything like looking back where you're like just want to pull your hair out remembering something specifically that was very clearly ADHD yeah. and either frustrating, hysterical. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, that's, that's for me is like the big thing is like failing out of dental school. Um, because you know, it, it's one of those things where like, I can look at it now and be like, Oh my God, this is what the situation was. Like, this is what happened. Cause you know, when we talk about ADHD stuff, I think, you know, and, and it's, with ADHD, I'll go on like a little bit of an icebox, I guess, right, is it's not a question of intelligence, right? It's it's an aspect of kind of how we apply that intelligence and if we can or not. Um, and, you know, I had my natural smarts got me through like high school, fine, I never had to study, got me through like most of college. I, I was got into like an early admission, you know, accelerated dental program and was able to kind of coast through in into that and then i was like oh i can just keep doing the same stuff that i was doing and for anybody who's done any kind of like medical schooling or dental schooling or anything like that like you can't you you can't can't pull an all-nighter yeah you can't pull on you can't pull an all-nighter for gross anatomy and you know that's what got me i can't pull an all-nighter for these things and like i can't go home and like play xbox and expect to kind of just do do this do fine and pass everything that's ended up what what happening is that like you know i i wasted so much time you know in class and just like even when we were attending lectures by not paying attention and being like oh i'll just look at this later no problem you know not learning those skills and then like you know later when i was like you know got a few hundred thousand dollar loan bill and figuring out what the hell i'm trying to do with my life and that's when i was like all right this is you know putting into you into like practice i guess all the skills that we kind of put onto our that we recommend to our patients that's when i was able to like succeed and do fine and asking for help again everything i say is the biggest thing for adhd you can do is ask for help from people um but that's and like looking back i was like oh my god this this was all because of this right this all because i had no idea how to do this stuff i had no concept of like organization and if i had known i would probably be a dentist right now so i'll be drilling and filling right now instead of talking and listening so but it worked out. Now, now, are you happy that you failed out of dental school, all things being equal there? Yeah. 
I, I think so. I think so. I'm, I mean, you know, I, I, one of the persons who I, when I was interviewing for jobs afterwards, one of the office managers said something that was kind of like the best thing was he said, is like, you know, you're, you're meant to do this. Like failing out was your destiny in a way is because these people needed you more than otherwise. So, and I was like, damn, this, you know, and that's yeah. why I ended up taking the job with them. So <laughs> it, it hit me in yeah. the face a little bit. I, I love that. Yeah. One of my I, mentors in residency always used to say medicine is a calling and then psychiatry is a second calling. And I, yeah. I think that it's a, uh, yeah, that's a, uh, well, good. That's, that's awesome. That's a wild, that's a wild experience, man. That's wild. Oh, it was, it was an experience, but <laughs> we'll save that for another, another day a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Um, talking about like coming back to, to comedy a bit, with yeah. with um stand up so i have a buddy who he yeah. does some stand up as well um and it's it's such a grind it's really interesting he's he's a lawyer and then he does you yeah. know stand up at night kind of stuff what, so again, what's his name kind of, what would i know uh, but uh i don't know Bother tarin is his name he's out in dc um he's a, he's okay. a pakistani guy so he does a lot nice. of stuff about being like you know south asian being pakistani and being mm-hmm. married to a doctor he he actually is married to the person that introduced me to my wife so one of my old med school buddies uh, um so we, we that's awesome yeah, so it's you know, all these connections but it's been really really interesting to talking with him about and kind of following along with his career and seeing you know everyone sees like Chappelle or they see these people on Netflix and they're like, Oh, this is such like a easy thing to do. You just go up and you tell jokes and it's, you know, everyone loves you and it's ha 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 ha. It's not like that at all. Correct. Give us a little behind the scenes about what the comedy world and the scene is like and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So like, definitely it, it looks like it these the goal of a of a, a good comic is you want to make it look like you're just coming up with this on the fly and that you're just you're just spewing this out and we all have a ton of funny ideas in our head and so we think oh yeah of course i can just go up there and you know wow radio city studio hall through uh you know my fourth netflix special or whatever it's not the way that it works yeah i um Starting out is tough. Um, starting out, you do a lot of mics. Starting out, you do a lot of mics. Like, and and that was one of the things I was really privileged about in living in LA and the LA area and things like that is you can do like three mics a night if you want. You can hit up some afternoon ones. You can do other stuff. You know, you have like these mic rooms now that people have. Um, the uh, where like you'll get you can like sign up for slotted mics and just keep on doing that. But yeah, you're going up there in front of people all the time and you're going up in weird bars. You're going up in place where you cannot hear yourself tell a joke. You can't hear yourself think nobody wants to hear you or you're in a room of comics and everybody's super unsupportive and just wants to get out of there and not listen to their own thing. And, um, but like the goal with that is just to like get the words out there, continue to speak them, continue to do that, continue to try out. The goal is to not necessarily be funny. And that I think is the hardest part too, is you're getting in front of a mic, you're telling your jokes and the point is not to get somebody to laugh. And that can be really hard emotionally to like tell something you really work hard about and care about. And it just 
does not get any type of reception or the reception you want. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's tough and you rewrite stuff. I don't tell a single joke from like probably my first, like three, five minutes that I've ever written or done. So like, yeah, you're always refining, but yeah, it's a grind. It is, it is, it, you're it out is there all the time. Yeah. 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 And I, I see him and like, you know, I, I see his Instagram stuff and then like, I haven't had a chance to see him, but like, you know, it's, it is a constant kind of grind. There's a lot of like kind of misunderstanding, um, around it. You know, there is like, and it's very brutal. You're, you're laying yourself out there, you know, bare for people to laugh, hopefully with you, not at you or, or maybe both. Right. Um, tell us about that, like the nerves, the performance anxiety that comes along with that. And then how we kind of manage that as a whole. Yeah. Um, and just like, you know, kind of like what you're saying is like, you yeah. know, there's going to be times where people hate what you're doing, right? You know, we're seeing more of these, yeah. more of these like videos and stuff online of people like, a, you know, almost attacking comics or really kind of getting, yeah, like them. punching them, throwing a beer at them, whatever else. Yeah. That was, yeah. Uh, I think it was like uh, Ariel and what's her face got that beer thrown at her and then pounded it yeah. in front of everybody. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, the, um, it's, uh, um, I forget her last name. She's great. Um, but anyway, uh, the, um, yeah, it, that is part of the deal with the mics there. And so hopefully by the time you're getting book stuff and doing that, the nerves go down a little bit in terms of you're not nervous that people are not going to like you. Um, and that's actually being a doctor is such good preparation because oh, you yeah. got to know that your patients aren't going to say like you, nor do you want to necessarily be their friend. And right. And that is, yeah, so that's, it's good preparation in that way. But yeah, even still going up there, you still get performance anxiety from time to time. I think the thing that I hate more than anything is if I just, my mind goes blank, you know? Um, but you can usually work your way out of it often. It's funny if you bomb after a while, if you get used to it, and it's not like, the more and more you get up there, the more shows you have, the more things, the less each show matters and, and means to you. Um, so yeah, you just kind of learn how to take that in stride as best you can. And that ideally helps get that performance anxiety down a little bit. It, um, but, and then like, there's other stuff. So like my hand, like even when I perform, don't have performance anxiety, I, I have a little tremor from the Prozac. And so like, I, you know, it's uh, not much, just a little mild resting. And so I, but it's funny, like watching that or those other things that like come up there, or, like I'll get like looped into something that I'm talking about OCD related. And I'll make fun of myself with that there. So like, if you're aware of your anxiety within that, you can use it to your benefit to win the crowd over if you're making fun of yourself with that. Um, but yeah, it's tough. It's, it's brutal. I used to, I used to have to have, I, you might have to cut this. I used to have to have a, a drink before every show. Now I don't need to anymore, but I used to have to, in order to be able to like, feel like I could think clearly enough with that performance anxiety. Yeah. 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 And I don't drink. No, it's, so yeah, it was really uh, needed. Yeah. It's, it's really tough, right? Cause I think, you know, even when I've done, talks or other things like that like you you definitely have those nerves that pop up there and again this is it's a very it's similar but very very different and, and unique in its own way so yeah 
Yeah. Do you feel it definitely is? Do you feel that like being a psychiatrist, being a comic, has made you better at the other at your other hat that you wear per se, or one way or the other? Definitely, definitely. Um, so much of my stuff at this point comes through me being a psychiatrist or through the mental health lens, and so undoubtedly it's made me a better comic. Um, I also like like you, y'all have you'll have like little like throwaway one-liners like i don't practice actual bits but like you'll have these like kind of stupid turns and like i'll just throw them in session sometimes not even realizing it and so like and get a laugh out of my patients so that would be good so you have it you know you have an audience every 30 to 60 minutes anyway so it works out okay um but it 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 definitely it it makes it makes me an infinitely better comic but it certainly makes me a better psychiatrist um for a few reasons, I I think understanding that failure process, that grind process, that commitment process is really good. You know, I think that we've obviously gone through that in medical school and residency, but I also think we lose sight of that pretty quickly. I mean, I think we remember it. I don't think we, it, it, it does shift. And that's just the way that our minds work in the way that we consolidate memories and, and things like that. And so I think having that reminder is important um, that having something to kind of struggle and push yourself and better yourself and learn all those things there. I think putting yourself out there is huge. So like I use a ton of like behavioral activation techniques and other things like that in psychiatry, understanding what's involved in like putting yourself out there, taking a step, particularly when you're struggling and how heavy and painful that is, you know, I don't necessarily understand that as much in my life personally on certain places, but I definitely can get myself to feel that through doing stand up there. Um, you know, I think, I think also there's a lot of people talking about mental health and mental illness. It's good to not be the professional in the room when you're there and that's kind of a cool thing. So it gives a little bit of an insider's perspective. Every single stand-up comic is either seeing a psychiatrist or not able to afford to see a psychiatrist. And it, it just ends up being, you know, um, a place where you can kind of see that from another perspective. Um, I think it just makes you a more well-rounded human being. I mean, you know, you, like, you know, you have other interests. I mean, obviously, you know, you, you have, an awesome following now and an incredible shoe collection. And, you know, I <laughs> undoubtedly those make you to be a better psychiatrist. Hopefully, hopefully I get to connect with, with the random person here with the, not here and there, but like, there was like, Oh dude, your, your kicks are pretty dope. I'm like, I oh, know they're better than yours. So what can, <laughs> what can I say? Um, yeah, but yeah. How, how do you navigate? So one of the other tricky things, like I think we, we were talking about a little bit beforehand was like, you know, when you put yourself out there as comedian, as social media, and there's that grind that comes along with having to like self-promote with social media. And then somebody comes across, you know, one of your patients comes across your videos and it's like, oh my God, that's my doctor. And oh my God, here's the situation. Like I know when I hear, 
one of my patients or parents of patients saying like, oh my God, we came across one of your TikToks. And I go, I gasp and I say, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I hope you I hope you didn't find anything offensive. And they're like, no, no, we love it when we hear you swear. And I was like, oh no, that's not what you're supposed to be getting from my videos. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. But <laughs> that was a no takeaway. <laughs> That's the takeaway is like, oh, Dr. Mirza swears. Dr. Mirza swears when he's not seeing us. And I was like, oh, that's, yeah, oh, that's, that's what you're getting. Yeah. Um, but no, what, how, how do you navigate that? Or how, has that kind of come up for you at all? Yeah. Um, it, so it, it wasn't an issue until around a year and a half ago. I had one video go viral on Instagram. Um, and that was when, patients first started following me um, and saying that they were doing that. And then, um, you know, Santa Barbara is a small town. There aren't that many psychiatrists. There aren't that many comics. And so, I mean, there, there are a fair amount of both, but not whatever. And, and so like there was a clip of me on the news. And so then I, my patients asking, well, you got to tell me, are you also Sam Silverman or something like that? And, uh, yeah. and, <laughs> and uh, so usually it's like, it's like Batman, Batman I, and Batman and Bruce Wayne over here, right? No. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. E e equally, equally glamorous on all accounts. And uh, yeah, so I, I usually tell them, it's awesome that you do this. I or that you follow me, or that you're pointing that out. I'm totally cool with you doing that. I do want to let you know. It's a comedy page. So I'm telling jokes. Some of it may not be. You may not love it. But the more important thing, you're going to find out a lot about my mental health. And that's what I make sure that they know about. And I just will say that. And I'll say, like, that's kind of the deal. I really don't care if you do that. You find that. This is information I'm not going to share in session necessarily. But it may shift your perspective of me and, in turn, your treatment process. And that's the important thing for you to know. Yeah. Have you faced any kind of criticisms or any kind of blowback or anything kind of negative either from from patients or maybe peers supervisors anybody else like that knock on wood no um no i the um yeah i no i not that i can think of um i mean people on the surface people really love it love that idea. I think it's not kind of as glamorous or cool, like we're saying as people think it to be, but like, yeah, definitely. When I was like telling people when I was applying for jobs out of residency that like, yeah, I've been doing stand-up comedy. They thought that was the coolest thing in the world, you know? And uh, I remember I interviewed for the Kaiser that Ken Jung used to work for. Um, uh, okay. <laughs> the, uh, before, while he was a doctor, when he got his, yeah, yeah. um, whatever. And I think his wife was still, there i want to say or something like that and and i think she's an internist too so anyway it's just funny um to kind of see that so like people generally like that i haven't gotten much blowback um you know i think the biggest criticism that i get for from people and i think it's it's a valid one i don't it's tough to get around there is because i'm making fun of myself and i'm poking fun of kind of some of the the stereotypes of the profession and the stigma of the profession. Sometimes me doing that, people are like, well, you're putting people off from psychiatry. And I can understand where they're coming from. What I like to think is that I'm naming a ridiculous perception of it for what it is, which is ridiculous, right. but doesn't always come across that way. 
I think that psychiatry of all the fields of medicine is definitely one of the ones that's been portrayed the most incorrectly or maybe correctly, who knows, but like, it's definitely a lot of misperceptions about what it is, what it's not. So, you know, the more that we can work towards, you know, demystifying that and kind of clearing that up a little bit, however, maybe you're and, and still poking some fun here and there that works. So. Totally. I, yeah, it, it, it is the, it is the most um, poorly portrayed thing. I mean, we look at like ECT one flew over the cuckoo's nest is the most common portrayal of that. Like that was an inaccurate portrayal 10 years before the book was written, which was 10 years <laughs> before the movie came out. Like it just like, yeah. and that's just one of many examples. It's just, yeah, it's awful. Yeah. Our most, our most popular pop culture figure is a cannibal, you know, why it's, yeah. Host. Yeah. Good old, good old Hannibal the cannibal. Yeah. What, um, so kind of with that, like who, who are some of your influences, some of your favorite comedians that are out there and or movies and stuff like that? The, the person that's the cool, the coolest, and I think is kind of the most unique influence on me is Maria Bamford. She is OCD as well. And a lot of her stuff comes from that. She's really good. You should definitely check her out. She is, she's awesome. And she is, she's super funny with that. Um, I, you know, I, some other guys like Hannibal Burris, Chad Daniels, other things like that, that like people start to get into like that kind of weird twists of the mind and things of that nature. Um, the, um, you know, there are other good people that are good joke writers that I have different styles from like Wanda Sykes is an incredible joke writer. I really love her, but she has a different style than I do completely. Um, yeah, you know, there, there are a lot of people I kind of gloss from all over there. Um, you know, it, I, let's see. So I graduated high school in 2007. So you can see how old I am from one way or the other. Um, and I, and so like, then I, and I went straight from medical school to, from undergrad in like 2011. So like my pop culture references have like a weird gap between like 2011 and 2019. But, um, yeah. like <laughs> I love stuff like, like super bad and like all the oh, yeah. Judd Apatow yeah. stuff and other things like that. I just love that. That's kind of like my biggest go-to is Judd Apatow stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He was on a streak in the early early 2000s and 10s over there. He was just cranking out just, I think, modern-day classic comics or com comedian or what am I saying? Comedies. <laughs> um, so yeah, I came, as I stutter over my words, oh, yeah. he was just punching them out left and right. Yeah, he was he was cruising throughout, yeah, forgetting Sarah Marshall, Pineapple Express, all that good stuff. Yep. And then, uh, yep. yeah, and then um, he stopped doing that and I stopped having a life and it coincided nicely. So, yeah. <laughs> That worked. That worked. Um, there was something I was going to say. Um, oh, I think it's something that people don't realize also, like with comedy as a whole, that comedy is, I think, of all the act, acting styles out there, one of the most, it's, it's the most difficult. Um, so like, and then cause, because of how much, you know, when you're trying to connect, have that human connection and make people laugh, like it is so difficult it's hard because you're trying to be as universal as possible and you can't always be somebody like tom cruise and you know it's wham bam and you know there's 
action and stuff like that's universally loved but comedy is again so subjective with that and then people get you know shocked when somebody like will ferrell jason bateman come out and they do these dramatic roles and like oh my god i had no idea that they were such a fantastic dramatic actor because comedies are being seen as cheapened forms of edu- of of uh, entertainment as well you know that lack of respect that's out there is like but these people are they're the finest actors the finest comedians that are out there like they're at the top of their game oh yeah oh yeah all those guys yeah and and they can do everything with that yeah it um yeah i think I think part of that's the art of comedy in and of itself. Um, you know, it's the idea of it's, it's the art of misdirection, the art of surprise, you know, you kind of send somebody down one way and once your brain, once I get your brain going that way, then you throw it the other way. And that's kind of that big thing. And I think that sometimes, I mean, that's that shift in that turn, it relies on you going down that path there and then being hit in the right way with that surprise. And if you don't follow that path for whatever reason, if you don't like that surprise, if it doesn't, whatever, yeah, you're not, it's not going to hit. But I think also that punchline, there's a discounting of some of the seriousness of it that then makes people discount the seriousness of it as an art form in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's one of the highest art forms out there far, far away. Um, Last kind of thing, we'll talk about this. You know, you, yeah. you t- reference being married, and and you're married to a therapist yourself. Yeah. <laughs> how yeah, how yeah, is yeah. that? What's that like? So you have a psychiatrist and a therapist, you know, together. I'm I'm married to a nurse. Everybody makes like the doctor oh, doctor nice. nurse jokes and stuff. So it's like, how, how do you yeah. get that, or how how's that been for you? How's yeah? Well, you know, so. How, how we got in and how it's been are totally different things. So like we, we met when we were 18. Um, so we went to a small school called Carleton College in Northfield, Minnesota. She's from Santa Barbara here. I'm from Baltimore. And we met there. I started dating a year into college, um, but we were like best friends for that year before. And so, yeah, she was, she started thinking she was probably going to be a therapist, like, sophomore junior year started shifting more into a psychology mindset um i would you know i was I, I had no idea what i was going to do i like oscillated between a bunch of different majors i like committed to doing pre-med like the last year like pumped out like a bunch of pre-med classes my fourth year took the mcat in like october like an idiot and just like got barely got into school like and so it i anyway the point being that like she was set for this for a while, I was not. And then when I told her I want to do psychiatry my third year, I, she, um, there was a moment where she was like, get off my lawn. Like this is my turf, like back off a little <laughs> yeah. bit. But that quickly subsided, um, you know, and so we had a really big foundation even before that type of process. And so that's the big thing is that's not necessarily often how we look at our relationship, even though that's certainly how we portray it on social media and all those things. Um, you know, and so I like to think that our anxiety brought us together because it's also what brought us to psychiatry and, and therapy probably. Um, and uh, yeah, but it, it does, it makes life more difficult 
and easier. We are much, we are much better at communicating an open, honest dialogue, and we twist each other's words around all the time with our psycho <laughs> babble nonsense. And it just like, so like, it's like a positive thing and a negative thing. Like how much therapy right. is too much therapy with that. And so that can kind of come into play. Um, but at the same time, there are a lot of things that like we really see eye to eye. So, um, you know, raising a kid, understanding a lot of things related to development and attunement and attachment and thinking about how to go about modulating certain things we're on the same page and that's really cool. Um, I think we've learned a lot from each other clinically and that's neat. Um, I think uh, on both ends. And so we do get to talk about those things and it's nice always like if you like, if something's bothering you clinically on your mind, just to even kind of like float that out there can be really cool and have that just right. to kind of like have that reassurance, which is good. Yeah. Yeah. Informal, informal peer supervision, I guess. Right. So, yeah, like the, the, yeah, the, the most informal, but yeah, it can be stuff like, you know, I remember in residency, like, you know, she had worked with a lot of people who are in like child and adolescent. I'd ask her like, like, how do I know the line of writing a CPS report? Like, what am I, how are you determining that you've done all these? I have not done any of them. How do I go about doing that? Like stuff like that was really helpful there for sure. Well, all right. I'm going to be respective yeah. of everybody's time. Um, how can we follow along? I know you're you're based out. You said in California, Santa Barbara area, but how can yeah. we follow along with with your journey and, and support you? Night. Nice. Yeah, definitely. Um, Instagram is the primary social media I use. I know you're huge on TikTok. If you see me on TikTok, it's me copying my Instagram reels onto. TikTok. Now, everybody usually does the other way around. I feel like it's like yeah, a really yeah. hard millennial move <laughs> to kind of like do that. But yeah, so I do the my Instagram is yeah, is a Sam Silverman comedy. Um, I believe let me just make sure here. Yeah, yeah, Sam Silverman comedy is the way to do that. Um, that you know, I'm there on, on, on TikTok and YouTube and Twitter and other little things. But Instagram is the primary one I use. And Right now I'm performing primarily in Santa Barbara. Um, as my kiddo gets older, probably start moving throughout California and the country once again, which is what I was doing pre-pandemic and pre-kid. Um, you know, I, but uh, yeah, you can always come check me out there. And I'm putting, you know, nonsense reels up there most every day. So you can uh, see that and uh, learn about uh, the inner workings of my mind there. <laughs> well, if you're ever out in DC area on the back on the East Coast, let me know and we'll definitely uh definitely love to come and support you as best as possible. And if I'm out there for sure we'll make that happen. So thank you. I any appreciate kind of last it, man. words or yeah, any kind of last words no, I, to anybody who may be watching, listening along. I if you're you're looking at two psychiatrists who use comedy to bring their message across. Only one of them is really going to give you helpful medical information. So I am not that one. I, I, <laughs> I am not there. So, you know, I follow Sloman for all the good stuff related to actual medical advice and help. And uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll make fun of all that actual medical advice and help. <laughs> well, 
I appreciate that. So thank you so much for your time. Um, and we'll, we'll go from there. So thank you again. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>